Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Before we get started today, listeners, I'm going to take a punt and say that it's likely that some of you are gentlemen of a certain age and you've spent slash wasted several hours of your life playing football manager down the years. But if you wanted to get better at the game, you can join our very own Ian McIntosh, author of the world-famous Football Manager Stole My Life, on Tuesday the 25th of May for the Ultimate Football Manager Masterclass. Sports Interactive's Tom Davidson will deliver a top-level briefing on the secrets of FM21 and then former Rangers Aston Villa and Birmingham manager Alec McLeish will pass on some real-life lessons from his nearly 25 years in real-life management. There are top prizes to be won too, including the opportunity to take on McLeish in a live-streamed winner-takes-all game of FM21. The event is all online and you can get your ticket for only £7 right now over at link.dice.fm masterclass that's really catchy so we'll do it one more time link.dice.fm slash masterclass imagine if in february 2019 brendan rogers had turned down leicester city and stayed at celtic to try to complete the treble treble having done that he was looking for a return to the premier league in the summer or autumn of 2019 and as things started to go wrong for mauricio pochettino daniel levy finally appointed the man he thought he had tied up seven years before and with brendan rogers in charge for the last two years or just less than that might it have been tottenham celebrating with the fa cup at wembley on saturday my name's Jack Pitbrook. You're listening to View from the Lane podcast. I'm joined, as always, by James Moore. Uh, James, did you feel a bit of jealousy watching Leicester dancing around with the FA Cup on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I was massively salty about that. So Saturday afternoon, I met up with a few of my uh, old colleagues I hadn't seen for like over a year, and a couple of them are Leicester fans. And not just because I wanted to see those two guys unhappy, uh, not just because of that. But yeah, I, I was kind of like quite salty about you know the idea of Leicester winning another trophy when Spurs haven't won anything, and I kind of felt like ah oh, yeah, that's going to be quite painful to see. And then obviously the nature of uh, Chelsea losing the game made me completely revise that. I mean, I got home and turned the TV on. Uh, I reckon probably about eighty-eight minutes into the game. So it wasn't too long after that that Chilwell had the goal disallowed. And that was absolutely hilarious. Just for the record, I turned the Liverpool-West Brom game on in around about the same time and saw the Allison goal. So 
my football watching experience. Incredible last minute equaliser denied by VAR. Incredible last minute winner scored by goalkeeper and competent performance by Spurs. I mean, what a weekend. Yeah, it was, uh, I have to say, I really, really enjoyed watching the the cup final on, on Saturday. You know, didn't really have much of an emotional investment in terms of who won. But just, I mean, there were much more fans there than there were for the Carabao final. And it was a proper occasion. And like Tielemann's goal was so good. And I properly like jumped off the sofa and started screaming when that went in. And then at the end, it was just really emotional seeing all the, it just felt so real. Seeing all the, all the, all the lesser players welling up with the trophy and the fans celebrating everything. I did think it was an amazing experience to watch it. But, um, yeah, all right. Come on. But, you know, this is a Tottenham podcast. And from a Tottenham, I did see a few Tottenham fans saying, oh, I wish that was us. It should have been us in the final. And I think it is it is worth asking in terms of the, the sort of journeys that Leicester and Tottenham have been on in terms of, you know, not part of the, the super rich elite of English football, but trying very hard to get there or to get as close to it as possible. Leicester have now won two major trophies in the last... Um, in the last five years and Tottenham haven't won any James and what would you put that down to is it just simple as recruitment manager luck I mean so I think it's probably a bit of all of the, the above I mean I would put the league title win in 2016 and this FA Cup win into very separate kind of categories Agreed, because yeah. I think like that, that league title win I mean obviously like you know there was a good recruitment involved particularly with Kante and Mares, and there was good tactical stuff and whatever else and you know they obviously had the momentum and stuff but they also I think the circumstances worked in their favour there and as you know we talked about before all the top sides had a bad season and Spurs in that instance benefited from that as well because they were probably predicted to finish fifth or sixth and ended up finishing third so Spurs had a very good season against the odds then as well so yeah, I think they were perhaps a bit more fortunate at that time, but this time I think this has been more about like a sort of longer term strategy and vision of building a team and and you know a lot of very good signings, uh, the kind of which I know some Spurs fans or most Spurs fans or all Spurs fans would be jealous of. Um, interestingly, at the end of the game, I, so I was watching this on BT rather than BBC for reasons I don't really know. Um, but Robbie Savage, one of the first things he said after the full time whistle was, "This Leicester team only cost 180 million pounds." Which right, I've checked and is also wrong. It costs a bit less than that. I, and also, like, what a weird thing to say. Like, that's not that much. I mean, it's a lot of money. And he was trying to make it sound like it wasn't yeah. much money. So I tally it up. And by the way, this isn't me saying that Leicester are like some uh, some sort of uh, Chelsea, Man City style club who have bought success. Although obviously they did fail FFP that time. But the Leicester team, by my calculations, with the help of transfermarket.com or transfermarked.com, uh, <laughs> The Leicester team starting eleven cost one hundred and fifty nine point four million pounds, and the Spurs eleven from Sunday afternoon cost one hundred and twenty two million. So uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know what that tells you, but I thought it was quite interesting. It might, I suspect a lot of people off the back of like protests on Saturday would say that told you that they hadn't invested enough in the squad. But obviously, have to bear in mind, you know, you've got Lucas Lamela Sissoko. Is there anyone else on the bench that would have cost record that money? signing in Dombele? Oh, yeah, Dombele, yeah, fine, that guy. And obviously, like Aurier injured, he was twenty three million quid or something. So yeah, fine. You know, there were other expensive players there. Clearly, uh, uh, you know, to answer to go all the way back to your question. I think a bit of a combination of, uh, of of all of those factors has been how that's happened. I, I don't think Spurs' recruitment has been quite as bad as people make out, but you only really need to look at that sort of midfield conundrum, that sort of unsolvable puzzle of how you fit a, a, like a combination of more than one of Deli Ali, Lo Celso and, and Dombele into the team to see that perhaps, you know, this isn't necessarily to say any of them are bad players. We know Deli Ali is a very good player. We've seen it over the last six years. Yeah. 
But if you had Deli Ali already, why did you need to sign the Celso and Indombele if you can't get them all into the same team? It seems to me like that is maybe a bit of an oversight. That's what I wrote in my uh, in my piece from the game yesterday. We'll get on to the game in a minute. But in terms of the recruitment, like I mean, clearly Leicester have bought really, really well. And what's interesting about it is it's not just it's not just they've had one recruitment genius who's done all this. You know, they had Steve Walsh, Eduardo Masia, Lee Congerton. So they've had different guys come in and all buy pretty well. But you know, just just watch them yesterday. Like T. Elements is obviously an incredible player and someone who Tottenham were interested in 2019, which was the summer that they signed in Dombey and Lascelles. But he stayed at Leicester. Fofana has been sent this year I love watching him Soyuncu has been pretty good even even James Madison who was obviously on the bench on Saturday he's someone that the Spurs were interested all the way back in sort of 2015-16 as being the next kind of who's meant to be their next deli and obviously Madison ended up going to Leicester instead and is probably now out of Tottenham's um, price range that all said I do think Tottenham's recruitment would have looked better with better management the hypothetical at the start, what if Tottenham had got Brendan Rodgers, which actually I don't think would have happened for reasons I'll go into later. I think if Rodgers had been at Tottenham since 2019, I think the signings of Ndombele, Lo Celso, Sessegnon, I think would all look better because they'd be those players would, would be coached better. And to be honest, if Rodgers wasn't at Leicester, then I think it's possible that Tielemans and Didi, Fofana, some of their other... Kelechi, their other good signings wouldn't really look as good. So um, I do think that is worth bearing in mind. Uh, and, I, and I do think there is a big element of luck, particularly when you look back at the at the Premier League win in 2016 rather than the F, as well as the FA Cup win in 2021. You know, the margins were incredibly fine in 2016. You know, if Spurs had beaten Arsenal or West Ham in March 2016, I think they would have won the title. I mean, I think the, the irony is, I think, you know, VAR ultimately helped Leicester rightly win that FA Cup on Saturday. But I think if there had been VAR in that season in the Premier League in 15-16, I mean, a, a lot of the penalties they got in that season, I would say, were questionable. Yeah. And I mean, I've not gone back and looked at all of the goals that Jamie Vardy scored when he was like on the shoulder of a last defender, but you'd imagine a few of those are probably offside. And yeah, sure, totally, you know, these, yeah. Things, these things cut both ways and there'll be things that went against them that wouldn't have gone against them that would have worked in their favour if VAR had been there. Fine. But I just have a feeling that maybe it would have been a bit of a different season. And of course, if if the if the Wes Morgan own goal in the last minute on Saturday had have stood, Chelsea probably had a stronger bench than Leicester. Chelsea probably would have been able to nick it in extra time. So there is always a big element of luck and contingency when it comes to big games and big trophies ultimately. So I don't think the gap between Leicester and Tottenham is quite as big as it feels at the moment. Although, of course, you know, I can totally understand why Spurs fans would be frustrated at seeing a team, you know, with a much smaller stadium with less money, smaller fan base, you know, who's only been in the Premier League fairly recently and nearly got relegated in 2015 to see them outdoing Tottenham and now like probably to be in the Champions League next year at Tottenham's expense. What's quite interesting to me is in terms of the recruitment, it's just the way, I think Leicester are just a little bit more bold with just spending the money they need to spend on players. Like, you know, if you look at someone like Ndidi, who they signed, was it Ghent they signed him from? Yeah. For £17 million. I just don't see that Spurs would have signed a player from Ghent for £17 million. And like Leicester just went out and got that done and got that player and was up like 2017. And he's, you know, it's taken him a couple of years to get to the level he's at now. But he's had a brilliant season. I mean, I, he's probably been one of their sort of unsung heroes. He's a really good player. And, you know, guys like, you know, you mentioned Fofana, £32 million from a, like a sort of 19, 20-year-old defender from French football. From Saint-Étienne, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think Spurs would have would have spent that kind of money on a player like that. Uh, Soyuncu again I mean I think he was like 18 million I am reading this by the way he yeah. was like 18 million just to be clear I don't know if he's off by heart 
he uh, yeah, it was like eighteen million pounds, and I, again, it would be, you know, I know Spurs spent forty or whatever it was on Sanchez, but that's from Ajax. It felt a bit different, you know, his experience international at that point. Tielemans again, thirty-two million pounds. When you know, we know clubs like Spurs were interested, and they just kind of were twiddling their thumbs, waiting around, trying desperately to not replace Musa Dembele for whatever reason. Perez, thirty million. Ianacho, twenty-five million. I, and this isn't me saying you know, lesser has spent more money because they probably haven't spent more money than Spurs. But I think because they're going out for those kind of mid-reputation players with potential and I think there's, there's maybe there's more of an acceptance at Leicester that you have to pay £30 million to get yeah. those players now and I think Spurs are still trying to fish around like £15 million quid. and I think yeah. for every like Hoiberg deal that they do which is around that figure and it seems like it's worked uh, that you'll get you know your Nkudus and whoever else that just like, like we're never really going to be good enough and I just yeah it, it is it is mad. And, you know, we look at what Tottenham will try and do in a transfer window this summer. And I suspect it'll be more of a same, won't it? It'll be more, you know, trying to kind of sign players 15 to 20 million pounds. And, you know, and you're right, you mentioned in Dumbele cost upwards of 40 and the Celso was just under 30, I think. But generally, they've not breached that kind of figure too many times, have they? I think probably only really just with Sanchez and, and Dumbele. And Lo Celso. I think it was only just under. I think it was more like 20. Uh, again, this is football transfer okay, marked yeah. 27 million pounds, I believe. Oh, okay. I think there's probably clauses, I guess, Adams. You're absolutely right that Spurs have signed too many players that just, you know, they haven't quite spent enough money to get a good player, so they've got a sort of average player instead, you know what I mean? Whether it's yeah. Vimmer and G and Kudu, yeah, Janssen. And they spent a lot of money on those four players and none of them have been good enough. Arguably Sissoko, arguably yeah. Doherty, arguably Aurier. They have been reluctant to spend big. And look, we, we talked about the reasons for that a million times before, but... It does seem like Leicester, by spending a little bit more on individuals, have actually managed to reap much bigger benefits. And of course, that comes down to the coaching as well. Right now, we're offering our listeners 40% off the price of a subscription to The Athletic. You can read all of our articles on Spurs, including my piece this morning on how Tottenham's next manager has to find a way to get Giovanni Lo Celso and Tanguy Ndombele to play together in midfield. It's something that Pochettino struggled with, Mourinho struggled with, Ryan Mason struggling with, but um, Lo Celso and Ndombele are Spurs' two best midfielders, in my opinion and whoever the new head coach is is going to have to find a way to make them work together. Uh, so to read that piece and to read many, many more pieces, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to take advantage of our special 40% discount and to subscribe to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
So let's talk about the game yesterday. It was a strange game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It felt very, very end of season. I think maybe that's a slight impact of, you know, uh, the day after the FA Cup final, which obviously had fans. And so I really I felt the absence of fans a lot. And of course, Wolves are totally on the beach. Like I know we, you know, some people expected that Leeds might have been on the beach last week. Uh, but instead, they were really up for it. Whereas wolves were wolves were really poor. I thought no energy, no intensity, very boring. Not even hard to play against either, James. Like Spurs on another day would have scored five or six. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I mean, I think you know, well, Spurs hit the woodwork three times. One of them obviously tipped onto the post by uh, Rui Patricio. And yeah, Spurs were incredibly comfortable. I thought they played really well. And you're right, the Wolves were bad. And I mean, I don't, I don't you know. I think it is important to say that. But I also thought Spurs kind of put them on the back foot for so much of that game. Um, Move the ball around pretty well. I mean, I think I, like a lot of people, was surprised that Ndombele didn't play again. And I thought that might be a problem. I mean, to be honest, I thought Lo probably wasn't as bad as he was at Leeds or whenever the other game was when he was terrible recently. But I, I didn't think he was particularly good. And Ndombele looked, looked fine when he came on. Yeah, it was a really good performance. I mean, it's interesting. I think it was our old friend Adam Nathan who tweeted, like, Bell's performance in a way was kind of more encouraging than like the sort of ridiculous hat-trick performance the other week. Because he kind of did this sort of down and dirty stuff that maybe you don't expect someone like that to do. You know, like an online player coming towards the end of his career, coming towards the end of his loan, at the end of a testing season in a game that doesn't really mean that much. You kind of don't really expect him to be kind of putting in a bit of a defensive shift and covering the wide players and whatever. But actually, he did a really good job over on the right. And I think uh, like his presence out there sort of stopped Wolves being quite as compact and narrow as they normally would like to be. I think when they played that back four, from what I've seen, when they played that back four, they've tried to keep it quite narrow. And with Bale out like out wide, kind of trying to find a sort of pockets of space, I think it just it just stretched Wolves out a little bit and probably gave Kane some a little bit more space. Deli Ali as well. Are we going to talk about Deli Ali again? Can we talk about Deli Ali again? Uh, I, to be honest, I saw a lot of people afterwards saying they thought he was really good. Yeah, he was. I thought he had a few good. So there was a really, really good, like cleverly, no. cleverly weighted pass through to Kane when Kane hit the post. So that was great, but. I don't know. I thought he, I thought he did pretty well, but I didn't. I no, didn't watch really him. Good. I didn't watch him and well, think. Maybe you don't, you don't understand. Spurs have got to build their team around this guy next season. I just don't think you understand. I don't know the game as Michael Cox. <laughs> you don't know the game yeah, exactly. Spot on. No, I thought he was really good again in a sort of similar vein to the good stuff that he did the week before. Yeah. I thought you know they had those little touches, some kind of little ingenious moments. He tried a few things, and I think probably more of them came off than they did last week. Okay. I was really encouraged by the way he played. I thought. I don't know, maybe maybe it's a vantage point thing. Maybe it's one of those things where from you sat in the fourth row of the stadium, whatever yeah. it is, you, maybe, maybe you couldn't see, or, or as you say, maybe you don't understand. Can people not tweet in saying that I called Jack a moron then because he, ha- he hasn't noticed? So don't don't mention it. Yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought, he, was, I thought he was pretty good. I actually thought Lo Celso was good in midfield. You're having a nightmare today. You're having a bad end to the season. Do you think? Yeah, yeah I saw I got a few tweets criticising me when I said that. I just thought he's quite, he's scrappy. He won the ball. He kind of always... Always tries to get it forward. I just don't know whether I, I, James. I just don't know. I don't. I, who should the midfield be for next season? Well, I don't know either. Ideally, I think it, I think Tottenham's three best mid, midfielders are Hoiberg, Lascelles, and Dombele, and you'd want to play the three of them together. Yeah, but I, I think we've seen. Well, I mean, we they've struggled to make that work up to now. I mean, maybe maybe they'll find a way of building the rest of the team around that that will make that work. But to me, despite having said they have those three amazing players and Hoiberg. You know, and Skip coming back and Wink's still there, maybe, Psycho, whoever. I still kind of think they might, I don't know what it is, but there's an ingredient missing that they need to add in. Yeah, it's, uh, I think ultimately, m- maybe it's that Lo Celso and, and Dombele are too similar. Like, they've got different styles, but in terms of 
you both ultimately want them deeper alongside Hoiberg because neither of them is really a 10. Like, they're yeah. just not... Neither of them is a 10, ultimately. Neither of them you really want playing as a number 10 and you probably don't really want either of them playing as, like, the, what, like, the 8 or whatever you'd call it in the 2 yeah. with Hoiberg. So you're basically saying you have to play, like, a more of a 4-3-3 three, three than more of a 4-2-3-1, which yeah. is fine. But then you need the right player on the right and... Sorry, the correct player on the right. And... um you're kind of changing the system, and I, yeah, I, I don't know whether that, I don't know if that's what you want to do. It's two years now since Spurs signed Ndombele and Lacelso. Three managers in a row now have decided they couldn't have found it very difficult to get the two of them playing together. And I know that you know Lacelso was injured at times, and that hasn't helped. But they've only started eight Premier League games together and two in Europe. And even when they have started together, it's often involved shunting Lacelso out wide because you don't, they can't really have Lacelso and Ndombele in the same midfield. And yet, despite all of that, I still think that. If Spurs are going to be good next year, you'd probably want both of them on the pitch together. Uh, I guess this is one of the big jobs for whoever the, the new manager is because I don't, I just don't know how exactly you make it work. I just don't know. So yeah, anyone, I've I've got a few tweets in the, this morning from people asking how to make it work, and some people said I'd just sell one of them. Or, but I don't know. If you've got any idea, if you've got any bright ideas. For if you if you know the game better than we do, then let us know. Tweet Ryan Mason. <laughs> So yeah, uh, I thought Harry Kane obviously scored his 22nd Premier League goal of the season. He's now level with Mohamed Salah with two games to go. Again, I thought on on another day he would have had more. I thought he maybe looked a little bit snatchy at times with some of those chances. Uh, Tanganga came in at right back, who I thought did pretty well. It's kind of interesting that Tanganga was preferred to Doherty. Um, It's pretty telling that, isn't it? Yeah, damning, really. I think Mason said he wanted uh, sort of better defensive presence, I think, which kind of makes sense. And uh, Aurier, Mason said afterwards on Aurier that he, he just felt something and wasn't 100%. Uh, I mean, it, it remains to be seen how much involvement he'll have over the last two games. I think Aurier is certainly someone who I would not be surprised to see leave Tottenham this summer. I think he's got what one he's coming into the last year of his deal. I don't think Tottenham would stand in his way if he were to find a new club. Then I think that's true of quite a few other players, James, you know, Sissoko, Lamella. Uh, I think there'll be quite a few outgoings from Tottenham this year. Were you going to be sad to see any of those guys go? No, not really. It's kind of time for it, isn't it? Time for clear out. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I think the phrase Deadwood is probably a bit much for some of those players, but um, it, it's definitely time to clear out the Deadwood. Who uh, who would be top of your list to, to get rid of? Uh, I, I mean, I think I said earlier in the season, Sissoko, I, I, yeah, we talked about it quite recently, actually. Yeah. Um, he is a player who I think, you know, he, he is more than just like a sort of runner. But I, I think once his legs go, he is going to be, he is not going to have uh, much of a purpose, much of a use in that squad. So he would be definitely be one of the ones I'd be looking to shift. Right back is clearly still a position where I think I need to strengthen. So, uh, you know, like we said the other week, when we went through the whole squad, one or other or both of those two, I'd probably try and get shot of if you could. <laughs> if you're trying to raise funds and you do get a good offer for a Celso or a Dombele, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I think I'd probably lean towards selling less Celso. I think I said that the other week. But yeah, I mean, that that's going to be determined by who the new manager is and the way they want the team to play. But I, I suspect one of those would go as well. Uh, Sanchez? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he just seems to have just completely fallen out of favour now. It's not, not getting any football at all. So, again, if a new manager felt the same way, then obviously he'd be one you'd expect to move on, given they've got Rodron and Tanganga as well, like younger than him, who you sort of hope maybe have a higher ceiling. So, yeah, there's a few players there who you could shift to raise a bit of uh, 
to, to cobble together. Can you sell players to raise a transfer war chest? Or is a war chest only a thing you can begin by the chairman? A, a war chest can only can only be gifted by the board, I think, to the manager or the director. Yeah, you can't you can't provide yourself. You can't a war assemble chest your own war chest. Selling a bungling uh, Colombian centre back. Yeah, I think there's quite a lot of players there who they're not guys that you absolutely have to sell. But if the bids come in, I think it does make sense to sell them to get that money. Yeah. So I put Sanchez in that bracket. Maybe Toby, but I think he might be too old to sell. Arguably Ben Davis, if they want to bring Sessignon back, I think could fall into that category. Possibly Winks, depending on what happens with, if Skip is to come back. There's not much point in having Hoiberg, Skip and Winks there next season. Maybe even Delhi, although I know Delhi is very popular with a lot of people. Uh, maybe Lucas, although I know Lucas, Lucas is also popular with... I mean, not as popular with the fans, but certainly quite popular inside the club. Isn't Lucas popular with people that we want to suck? Isn't Lucas popular? Like, they're all, he's mates with Aurier and Sissoko, right? Yeah. Or is it, just get rid of all of them, it's fine. Yeah, there's a lot of players with, with question marks over their future. And I think one of the big deciding factors is going to be basically which club, you know, how much money do clubs come in for them? I, I, I gather that Daniel Levy is more willing than he has been in the past to sell players, even if it means not making it top premium for them but um yeah let's wait and see and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The big other story in Spurs World this week, James, is the new manager, or sorry, the new head coach, I should say. I think it's we're getting down to the serious end of this process now. I imagine that by the end of the week, we'll have a clearer idea about who it will be. The shortlist at the moment is Eric Ten Hag, Roberto Martinez, Ralph Rangnick, and Graham Potter. Uh, I don't think it'll be Brendan Rodgers, even though I did say it. This, even though we did that bit at the top of the pod about him, uh, I think he's, Yeah, I think he's got his eye on, on other things. Also, I think we can rule out. You know, it's not going to be Hassan Huttel, Nuno, Parker, uh, Hansi Flicks has been mentioned this morning, and I think was popular, but he's taking the Germany job. So I, th- I think yeah, Ten Hag, Martinez, Rangnick, Potter. Uh, James, do you have a favourite of those four? No, none of those inspire me really. 
I kind of see the Martinez thing. I kind of feel like he might be someone, I think I mentioned before, who, who could kind of get a tune out of Harry Kane and could kind of, you know, manage that situation quite well next season. But I, I'm not, you know, that doesn't that doesn't strike me as a thing that's going to be like, I, I don't think you like build a dynasty with uh, Roberto Martinez. Yeah. I think he could be a manager who could come in and do well for sort of two years and then it would go bad in the third season. Yeah, I mean, that has been, his Wigan and Everton teams were teams who were, uh declined over time which I suppose is pretty I didn't even get that long at Everton did he had one good season at Everton one good season two bad ones at Everton and then sort of slow decline under difficult circumstances at Wigan I mean if you were being positive about Martinez you'd say well he's got a good brand of football he's won a trophy more recently he's won a trophy Uh, he's worked with top players at Belgium Uh, I think his Belgian team of you know semi-finals of the World Cup about par bit unfair to judge them in one game I thought they were really poor in that semi-final against France where they lost 1-0 they were very good against Brazil though weren't they in the they were good against so Brazil and swings and roundabouts you know maybe they'll win the Euros but I think ultimately Tottenham probably want to make their you know if they won the Euros then maybe he'd be a more attractive candidate but I think Tottenham are going to want to make their decision before the Euros because you can't be hanging on till July the 11th to decide who the manager's going to be for the season that starts on the 13th of August and I, also I should say you know when we've been speaking to Spurs fans on social media or who I know in real life they've not that positive about Martinez, really. So that's Martinez. I know Ten Hag signed that new contract to Ajax a few weeks ago, but I think he's probably the most likely of these four to get the job. You know, he's done pretty well at Ajax. Champions League semi-final in 2019, won the, won the Eredivisie again this year. The Dutch league is so different from the Barclays that it's difficult to know about when you're bringing players in from it, if they're going to do well or not. Because, some, you know, sometimes it's, I don't know, Dusan Tadic was really good, now back at Ajax. Uh, Van Dijk was really good. Jordi Klaasie was bad. Um, Davy Klaassen was bad. Donny van der Beek, who played for Ten Hag's Ajax team, has done nothing really at United. And that kind of applies to managers as well. Like Frank de Boer, it's obviously a disaster at Palace. Peter Bosch, who also did really well at Ajax, he's done kind of okay at Dortmund and Leverkusen, but you just don't know. It's just, it's a big unknown, isn't it, James? Yeah, I'm not, I mean, it's kind of foolhardy to base your view on the kind of stuff that happened before. I think I said that about how well Mourinho was going to do at Spurs, and I I should have just done that because I never would have got carried away when Spurs were good then. Yeah, I'm really not, I'm really not convinced by that, I've got to say. There's something about that that sort of seems quite underwhelming in a way that I I would worry might send out a, not a, the best message to some of the players. Basically, Harry Kane. I mean, I know Spurs can't afford to like build the whole thing around like the whim of Harry Kane, but if they are going to do that for anyone, it should be him. Do you know what I mean? It, it's yeah. like it should definitely be a consideration because it's insane just to completely disregard that. And I, you know, I, I know. Uh, say, I think, who was the manager that Messi like effectively appointed at? Uh, was it Martino to Tata Martino, Martino? Yeah, yeah, and it didn't really work out. So you know. If, yeah. if Messi can get it wrong, so good Harry Kane. Who do you think Harry Kane would pick as manager? It's a great question. Uh, I mean, it would be Ryan. Would it just be Ryan Mason. Well, I, <laughs> his mate Ryan. Mason. I think some of the players would like Mason to to stay on, but I, obviously, I don't think it, it will be. I've got no idea if that if that would extend to Kane. Uh, well, Kane like Mourinho. Um, I think yeah, Kane yeah. would be happy with. I don't, <laughs> That's I a good point. I genuinely, you can't trust that guy. I genuinely don't know, but I, I would imagine that that Kane would want, you know, a proven, someone with a proven track record of trophies and and, and wins. Then we've got Ralph Rangnick, uh, he's, you know, kind of hugely influential and respected figure in German football, working for Red Bull now. He's managed RB Leipzig in two two recent spells. Milan tried to get him last year. Uh, James, he would, he would give Spurs a big kind of reboot of footballing style of play, I think. But I'm, uh, I don't know if it's going to be Rangnick. I wouldn't bet on it at this point. If that was done, say, with like a young coach 
brought in underneath or someone already in a club in mind to be developed, be it Mason or Dudley King or whatever, to kind of take over as head coach or whatever in two years' time once Rani had got his feet under the table and kind of established his way of doing things, then I could kind of see the logic. But how, I mean, what is he, like sort of 63 Ranić, I think. I mean, you don't imagine that even if he kind of moved upstairs to be like a director of football or technical director or whatever, which obviously creates its own issues internally within the club anyway, given there are other yeah. people doing those kind of jobs. I just think that, that that's like a that's like a very good puzzle piece, a very attractive puzzle piece that I'm not sure necessarily fits in realistically to the hole that Spurs are trying to fill, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I think that's a, re- that's a great analogy. Yeah, me. no, it's true. It's true. And then there's Thank Graham Potter, you. who... Who I don't think will get the job, but um, I do really like and admire Potter. But I think his the way his Brighton team play, the way that he talks, his attitude to football and everything. I think he's a, a, a hugely admirable person. But I just wonder if it might be a bit too soon. Yeah, I I just think if Brighton had kind of had, say they had finished, you know, twelfth last season and they were going to finish like tenth this season or ninth or whatever, yeah. and they'd been on a decent cup run in one or other season and looked like yeah. They were improving in terms of results rather than just the football they play. I'd be way more sold on it. But like I, I, I just have my doubts because he's undoubtedly improved him on a technical level, but in terms of the results, they haven't improved really, have they? I don't think. Or not or not by much. I agree with you. It's as much as I'd like it to be, Potter's Brighton are not comparable to Pochino's Saints. No, absolutely like, not. Pochino's Saints were the best the best non elite team in the Premier League at that point. And they'd beaten lots of really good teams and they were really consistent and they won games as well as playing good football. Whereas Potter's Brighton just feel a lot more, they're just much less good. Like they're, you know, they're only just out of the relegation zone. They're not on the brink of Europe. They're not like, consistently beating the big teams, did you say, which is what yeah, Pochettino did yeah. in Southampton. So it's just not, it's not a comparable situation. And as much as I admire, as much as I like Potter, uh, and also Pochettino's Pochettino came with the kind of glamour and credit of like being a top player and managing Espanyol and playing for PSG and playing for Argentina and all this stuff. And as much as I like Potter, he doesn't have that kind of big dressing room presence, I think. I mean, is that the kind of thing you should argue you could argue shouldn't really be a factor, but probably realistically it is. Yeah, I think it is a factor to players. Yeah, and clearly the Brighton, you know, Potter is really interesting in terms of how he engages with players and what he talks to them about and how he gets them to buy in. So I'm not saying that Potter can't get the players to buy in. I just think that as much as I'd like, I think if you're looking for an equivalent of Pochettino 2014 for Spurs right now, there isn't really one, and it wouldn't be Potter. I don't think. Like I kind of, I feel like Potter is like a good answer to if you're completely like clearing the decks and like you accept Kane is going to go, maybe Sonny's going to go. Well, I, you know, I like it's like a couple of the other sort of big personalities yeah. are going to be gone, and you're going to completely start the whole thing from scratch, and bring you know Sessegnons and Skips yeah. in, and like start the whole thing again. Then, may, then maybe, maybe that's a situation where someone like Potter makes sense. But I just don't think the timing of that is like you know, I'm just not sure that's that's going to be what Spurs are looking for this summer. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So there you go. I mean, I think I think we'll know more by the end of the week as to who it's going to be and what's going to happen next for Spurs. Uh, I don't know whether I don't know if it'll necessarily be done by the Leicester game, which of course is the next Sunday. But let's see. And very quickly, James, Spurs have got two games left under the current interim head coach Ryan Mason. Uh, Aston Villa at home on Wednesday, and then Leicester away on Sunday. Obviously, it's really really good news actually for Spurs that Everton somehow lost to Sheffield United last night. So uh, seventh, sixth, and seventh is still looking good. 
I mean, what I would say is that that, that uh, Everton game combined with some of West Ham's results in the last couple of weeks, quite aside from like doing a lot to help Spurs' chance of getting into the Europa League rather than the um, Conference League or not being in Europe at all, do kind of underline that, uh, that even if they end up finishing below West Ham or not far ahead or, or somehow manage to finish below Everton, which would be a calamity now, that I think they're still kind of operating on a massively different level to clubs like that. Yeah. Like, I just think, like, Spurs, like, you know, we saw what Spurs, I mean, I know, you know, a one-off result can go either way, but, like, you saw what Spurs did to Sheffield United the other week, and, like, Everton have been consistently dropping points against teams like that all season. The home record have been so bad. And West Ham, I know their squad's not massive, uh, and they've had a couple of injuries, but their result, you know, to, and, you know, Spurs had a bad result in Newcastle as well. Uh, Spurs had a bad result at Brighton as well. But, yeah, to get to, to get to the sort of, uh, the, the business end of the season, as we call it, and drop points in games like that consistently, I think is pretty is pretty bad. You know, when your team have got momentum and everyone's like, you know, pulling in the same direction to then get results like that, I think it's pretty telling. So yeah, I think that probably does speak for how far Spurs should be ahead of teams like that. Uh, and that would be the one sort of slight encouragement for next season. Uh, I'll be at the Villa game on Wednesday, so I'm very excited about that. It's oh, my cool. first game. My first game since Matt Doherty's last good game at the stadium, which was uh, Four Wolves. In, right, uh, March twenty twenty. So yeah, that that would be good. Uh, and yeah, I'm a bit more positive. You know, if they beat if they beat Villa, then they've got a good chance of top six. And then you know, if they can get a result against Leicester and cement that, that would be good. Ends on a bit of a high, but I think yeah, as we've established over the last sort of ten minutes, I think there are big questions still to be answered, and they will they will have more of a bearing on what happens next season and beyond than what European competition they're playing in. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Uh, thank you very much to James, producer Tom. Thank you to everyone for listening and sending in your your questions and comments. Keep them coming. Uh, we will be back again next week where we will look back at the Villa and Leicester games. Now remember, and we will wrap up the 2020-2021 season for Tottenham Hotspur. And then that will be our last podcast before a bit of a break for the Euros. Thanks very much to everyone for joining us and we'll be back again next week. The Athletic.